0: Amen. I want to talk to you about something today that might seem a little peculiar, but also at the same time, it might seem quite familiar. And the truth is, I want to talk to you about the gospel. Because I think so many times, it is so often misunderstood what being a Christian is all about. We get so confused, like, do I have to get baptized three times? Do I have to raise my hand in salvation? Did I cry enough? Did I do enough? And we make salvation this big thing. And and we often question ourselves, like, is God really working in my life? Is God really doing something? And so I want to help you with that this morning. But I want to start off with a word that may seem a little odd. And the word is simply madness. It's not particularly a word that we would use to describe Jesus. It's usually a word that we would use to describe our kids when they pee on the floor, right? This is madness, right? We just, we recently got a dog. I don't know, I told my wife last night, we had a dog, and uh, it started yapping at four in the morning, and I I was like, we have raised six kids already. I'm not about to, this dog, my wife is in bed, she's like, I'm getting a shock collar. (laughs) I was like, let's go find one now. Madness is usually a word we describe when people do stupid things, right? When people do something and we can't go and we, we look at them and we go, Are you mad? Like what were you thinking? Here's the truth. I think madness is the perfect depiction to describe Jesus. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because there's a line that Hillsong United sings and it stuck with me for so long the first time I heard it, and the line is this When justice called for all my debts, the friend of sinners came instead. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. You may walked in here with full of shame full of regret, full of like, God can never forgive me for the lifestyle that I've been living or the choices that I've made or the people that I've hurt. Here's what I want you to understand. When we think we deserve justice and we think we need to get what we deserve, God sends the friend of sinners instead. He sends when we have this debt that is so big and we don't know how to pay it. You ever check your bank account and you're like, oh oh my God, how are we going to make it? And you don't know what you're gonna do? Sometimes we feel bankrupt in our lives, don't we? We feel like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to turn. Some of us honestly stray away from walking into the doors of a church simply because we don't feel worthy. One of the most tragic things that I hear as a pastor all the time, and it breaks my heart more than anything that I hear. Oh, I can't walk into the doors of the church because the place is going to burn down as soon as I do. Or I can't walk into the doors of the church because I still have this problem here. Or I can't walk into the doors of the church because it's just full of hypocrites. You know what I usually say to people like that? Come on in, you'll fit just right in. (laughs) (laughs) You'll fit along with it. Nobody lives this perfect life, but yet this God sends this perfect son to die for us. That's madness. And So I want to talk to you about the simplicity of the gospel. I want to talk to you about something that we so often familiarize that I think that we forget the beauty and wonder in it. We talk about it usually once a year in Easter. We talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. But Friday was this day of darkness. But it was also this day of great triumph. It's the day that Jesus gives up his life. He pays the debt that we no longer could pay. But I also want you to think about it like this. It was a day where a perfect, sinless Savior hung on a tree. Now think about this, that he created. He's staring people in the face that he made and he knows them by name. Then also, he hangs on this tree and he looks up at the earth and he begins to notice the planets and go, Yeah, I hung those things. <laughs> I spun this world into existence, but yet he steps down into humanity and he takes our place. That is sheer madness. Now we celebrate the cross, right? We get tattoos of the cross. We wear crosses around our necks, and we celebrate the victory of the cross, and we should. But here's where I think most of us find ourselves today, not necessarily in Friday. I think we understand what the cross means. Sometimes we lose the significance of it, but the reason we lose the significance of it is because usually we're not in Friday. We find ourselves stuck in Saturday. Now, Saturday is a day that Jesus is dead. And he's laying in the tomb, and the only man in the history of the earth who has ever raised people from the dead is now laying in a tomb. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a realist here. Anybody like, you're just naturally a pessimist. You just naturally, I'll be honest, that's me. Okay, I just naturally look at things as the glass half full or half empty. I'm like, it's empty, <laughs> right? So if I look at this situation, just like most of you, you look at this situation and say, well, hold on, Jesus is dead. And I thought he was coming back to save me. So here's what I mean when I say that we find ourselves on Saturday. This is the day where doubt sets in. This is the day where fear sets in. Anxiety sets in. Depression sets in. Is God really coming back for me? Or we ask ourselves the question, is God really going to be good to me? Or could God ever accept me because of what I have done? Just show of hands, how many of you have ever asked that question? We've all felt those feelings, right? We felt those feelings, especially in Saturday, we would go, you know what, I've just screwed it up too much. Like, there is no way God can forgive me for the things that I have done. Some of you find yourself stuck in that Saturday. You find yourself dealing with constant and chronic anxiety and depression and shame has this grip on you and all you can think about is your past. I don't know if you know this, but the quickest way to forget about who you are in Christ is to to constantly think about who others say you are. And here's what's crazy. Oftentimes, we try to live a better life for people we don't even like. (laughs) For people we don't even like, but yet we try to live this life to please people. I love the prophecy that King David says, when you find yourself in Saturday, when you find yourself in doubt, when you find yourself in anxiety, when you find yourself in shame, when you think that it's all over and you go, that, you know what, that's it. I might as well just throw in the towel. I'm gonna live my life however I want to because he's not coming back for me. Here's what King David says. Psalm 16, now keep in mind, this is a millennia before Jesus dies on the cross. A millennia. He says this, Psalm 1610, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. See, the day that Jesus died on that cross, it meant that death no longer had the final sin, but the day he resurrected, it means this for us personally, it means that he's never going to leave you. It also means that he has not forgotten about you. Because if our God rais- resurrects dead things, here's what I honestly believe. You may find your marriage completely just too far gone. I mean, I've been trying to reach out to this son or to this daughter, and it's, it's just hopeless. We have to remember this one thing, friends. God resurrects dead things. Amen. I think we forget that. Because we look with our natural eyes. And we look at this situation. We look at how many of you have that one person in your family. If you're like, if God came back and saved everybody, it would not be that one. <laughs> right? I'm not pointing to anybody specific here. <laughs> it's like, me? <laughs> but you all know. We, we all have that answer. Like, oh, they'll never change. Right? the ant at the party that always ruins the party, (laughs) right? And we think about those people, but I want you to understand like God loves those people so much that he always creates a way even when things seem dead, even when things seem too far gone. See, the cross paid our debts, but the resurrection defeated our death. It defeated our death. We have to remember this. So here's what I want to say to you today. Today, the friend of sinners wants your ear. So maybe you came in here for the first time, and maybe you're sitting in church for the first time in 15 years. And you go, what what am I going to learn here? I'm going to watch somebody get baptized and eat a barbecued burger. Great. (laughs) I think we forget the wonder of what we're actually doing every Sunday. I think we forget about it. That we actually have the ability to tap into a supernatural God. The same God that opened blind eyes, the same God that created miracles, the same God when the people of Israel saw no other way out and they look and they have an entire uh, army behind them and God literally parts the sea. It's crazy. Oftentimes when you think that you've come to the end of the road, that's usually the time that God's going to work in your life. God sees something, when you see it as the end, God says, "Eh, it's just the beginning. No, but God, you don't understand. This is totally it. No, God says, no, because you need to trust in me. So today, the friend of sinners wants to speak to us. Here's what I genuinely believe. Many of you will walk out of this room and never be the same. And never be the same. Why? Because we've been praying for you all week. We've been praying that this supernatural God would come and visit you this morning. It's not about what church you grew up in. It's not about what theology you subscribe to. Listen, here, we make it super simple. It's about Jesus. It's about jesus that's it because we know that jesus is the only one that transforms lives so here's what's crazy jesus enjoyed being around sinners and they enjoy being around him now here's what's crazy about that statement i can understand why jesus would enjoy being around sinners it's what he came to do right he says, those, the people that are sick, those are the ones that need a doctor. Jesus was constantly with the people that we never thought that he would be around. He found some area of town that we're too afraid to go down. That's where he was. So I understand why Jesus was with sinners. What I don't understand is why sinners were with Jesus. And I'll explain to you, because I don't know about you, but when you're messing up, when you're doing wrong, do you want to be around good people? <laughs> Like, you stray away from the people that may tell you the truth, right? I don't know about you, but like, when I'm in a slump, like, I don't want to be around anybody that's like, hey, bro, you need to, you need to, you know, get your stuff together. I don't want to be around people like that. I want to be around people that can let me slack and do my own thing, right? So do you. So, why do sinners want to be around this perfect man who knows them by name and before they even speak, he knows what they're dealing with? I don't know about you, but I'd be running. <laughs> But let's read a story where we see just that happen, and hopefully we can explain it. Luke 19, 1 through 3. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. How many ever heard this song in Sunday school? Anybody? Any church kids in here? (laughs) Please don't sing it. Um, he (laughs) He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So long explanation reduced down to a short one is Zacchaeus was a shyster. <laughs> this is what he was. He was taking taxes and he would take more than he should so he could use some for himself. Now watch verse 3. This man who is wicked, this man who is living a sinful life, verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus. So first thing that we notice is he's short. Okay, dude, short. He can't see. The second thing that we notice is now the sinner is chasing Jesus. Why? Why is the sinner going after Jesus? Because think about it. Jesus, the perfect example of perfect, and yet sinners are constantly attracted to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Now, watch this. Jesus now initiates conversation with him. Zacchaeus, he said, Come quick, down. I must be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Why is this story significant? Why is it important? How does it practically apply to your life? It applies to your life because when you reach a level of such, des- such desperation in your life, you will finally get to a place where you're like, I can't live this way anymore. I just can't. And as soon as you make that leap, like he made that leap, I, I have to imagine that Zacchaeus was finally at a place in his life where he goes, you know what, I can't live this anyway anymore. And everything that I've heard about Jesus, it sounds amazing, and I'm going to go check it out. So he goes and he seeks Jesus. Now watch this. The second that he seeks Jesus, Jesus meets him. There's a significance there. Because a lot of us are just sitting around waiting like, God, where are you? Talk to me. Show up. Sometimes God's just waiting on us to make that move. As soon as you step out of the boat, as soon as you step out of the tree, Jesus meets him instantly. So what does this mean? Some of you have to hear this, even when you are so far away, God still seeks you. He still seeks you. Because here's what, if we're honest, many of us have arrived at this place where I'm not worthy to be sought. This is why we hide. This is why we stay curled up in our house. This is why we deal with anxiety. This is why we have depression. Because we can't go out into the world because we don't think we're worthy, right? It's crazy because oftentimes if the enemy wants to trap you, all he has to do is attack your identity and your worthiness, and he's got you. If he can just make you feel low, you don't have to be around anybody else because you don't feel like you're worthy of it. You don't feel like you're worthy of God saving you. But see, the cross says opposite of that, doesn't it? The the cross is an exact contradiction to your thought life, to what you believe about Jesus. The cross says it doesn't matter what you've done because you're no longer defined by your past. And can I clarify? Your past is not like what you did 10 years ago. Your past is what you did yesterday. (laughs) What you did an hour ago. How you cursed out your husband before you came in here. (laughs) Right? That's the past. I want you to understand, this was also very controversial. When Jesus says, hey, let me go have dinner with you. It it, it would be like, (laughs) I better be careful how I say this. (laughs) It would be like some of you knowing I'm a pastor and seeing me in a bar, and you'd be like, whoa, whoa, what is this, right? There'd be these accusations that would be, some people would love it. Some people would say, man, he's hanging around the right people, and some people would go, I'm never going back to that church because he's there, right? But this is what happens to Jesus. So he's hanging around a, a person, and people are going, what is he doing? But I want you to understand something. Jesus was never concerned with what others accused him of. Jesus did anything outside of sin to reach the sinner. It's fascinating because Jesus was, he was never taken back by what people said of him because he was so confident in who the father said he was. He's like, my father approves me and that's it. That's all I need. It's interesting because in the Bible and the scriptures, we read that Jesus has about 256 different names that he's called at different times. It's I Am, it's Messiah, it's King, it's Yahweh, it's Savior. But some scholars believe that his favorite name was Friend of Sinners. Friend of Sinners, the one that goes around and hangs around with the people that nobody wanted to be around. Could that be you today? Could that be you? Maybe you don't feel worthy. Maybe shame has gripped your heart. Maybe it took everything you had to get here this morning. Maybe when you walked in these doors, you were so nervous, like, man, what are people going to think? Or I'm not used to going to a church like that. I don't know what this is going to look like. Could it be that you're here for a reason? Could it simply just be that all Jesus wants to tell you this morning is that you are enough? I love it how a pastor says it, Matt Chandler says it this way. He says, Jesus does not have to be pleased with the future version of you. He's pleased with the you right now. And that's what many of us live for, don't we? Well, God will be happy with me when? When I arrive at this place. How's that working? (laughs) Let's continue reading the story. This is verse 7. But the people were displeased. So the crowd, he has gone to be with a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumble. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, now watch this. This is super important. Now notice, here's why, here's why sinners were attracted to Jesus. Jesus is about to show us why sinners were attracted to him. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew his name. Keep in mind, remember, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I don't know about you, but I would have been filled with fear at that point. Because I'd be, I'd be going, what else is he about to say? <laughs> Jesus, just leave it at the name. You don't need to tell anybody else my stuff, you know? Just stop right there. But he never confronts Zacchaeus. He never says, I can't believe you've been cheating people on their money. He never points out the sin. He says, Zacchaeus, let's just go have dinner. Now watch this. Now Zacchaeus, on his own accord, because he has been shown kindness and love and the grace of the Savior, has pulled him in. Watch what Zacchaeus says. I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, watch this, I will give them four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So what does this mean for you today? It means this, Jesus will never define you by your past. He'll never define you by your failures. He didn't look at Zacchaeus and go, disgusting. If I had to imagine just for a moment, and this is so helpful when you read the Bible to actually place yourself into the story, to think about it, turn into the character. But if I had to imagine just for a moment, Jesus in that story, what was going on in his brain, I'm thinking he's not thinking man, if Zacchaeus would just stop doing that, I can't believe when I see him, I'm going to tell him that he needs to stop cheating people. I believe that this was Jesus' logical argument. If I could just have one meal with him, I could just sit down and we could have a burger and french fries and I could show him that I'm not who everybody thinks I am. That's what we think, right? We think that we can walk in, we oftentimes walk into a church where we're going to surrender our lives to Jesus and then Jesus is just going to hammer us. You know, it's usually the exact opposite. He just pulls us in and loves us. It's like this embracing, like a father would his daughter. It doesn't matter what you've done. I've shared this story before, but I have six kids. And yes, it was all on purpose. (laughs) And I have six. And, And here's the truth. It doesn't matter if one of them would come to me later on in their life and say, you know what, dad, I don't like your God, I don't like your church, and I'm not serving him. Can I tell you something? They're my son, they're my daughter. I love them still the same. You know why? Because scripture teaches us it's the kindness that actually leads people to repentance. Not judgment. Not like, oh, I, just need to, I need to share the truth with these people. I need to beat them down. Jesus, You never find this, a passage in scripture where Jesus did that. Coming to Jesus is the safest place that you can be. The, the, the most dangerous place that you can be is leave yourself to your own thoughts and your own ideologies and that won't work out for you. So I would imagine, simply, Jesus would say, I just want a meal. I just want one meal with Zacchaeus. How many of you guys remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery and they drag her out into the street and they're getting ready to stone her? You you remember that story? There's this famous line that Jesus says in that, where he says, where are your accusers? And many of us are convinced that Jesus is just looking for a reason to punish us. Many of us are convinced that our life has gone a particular way because Jesus is holding out on us because we have not been good enough. But there's this woman in John 8 who's caught in adultery and it's a perfect depiction, perfect depiction of what God does to sinners. Let's read it. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So you have this angry mob catches this woman cheating on her husband. And it says, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. I love this. Jesus completely ignores them. It says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So imagine this angry mob. Jesus completely ignores them, and he just starts writing in the dust. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, all right. Here's my answer. Let the first one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's like you drop the mic right there, right? (laughs) Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of these not condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go sin no more. Now, many of us have heard this story, and I, we talk about this a lot. When you've heard things over and over, it becomes familiar to you, right? And You kind of lose the magic in it. You lose the excitement. You lose the wonder. But have you ever considered that you are actually the woman in the story? Like, we are the woman in the story. It's this perfect depiction of when we have failed and the world drags us out, like you see so much on social media and Facebook and the news. I mean, you you do one thing wrong and they're going to dig up all your past and just try to crucify you, right? It's the equivalent of this, where the enemy, the shame, the lies, the depression, the anxiety, it's all speaking to you. You're not worthy. And you feel like somebody's drugged you out in the street and you can think of every single reason why you don't deserve God's loving kindness. And Jesus scoops down and he says, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And all of a sudden there's nobody standing left and it's just you and Jesus. And Jesus says, there's nobody here left to to accuse you. So you go and you sin no more. Now, but think about it. This woman was clearly on trial for something that she did wrong. She has no defense. Think about it for a moment. She's standing naked in a seat or sitting naked in a a dirt road, embarrassed, ashamed. That's us. We feel that when we've done wrong. It's that gnawing feeling in your stomach when you know that, man, I've screwed this up. Or why did I make that decision? Or why did I live that way? but I truly and genuinely believe this. We are often harsher judges on ourselves than God is on us. Man, we have the ability to really tear ourselves apart, don't we? We really have the ability to to drag ourselves so low and I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. But I genuinely believe if Jesus could say one thing to you right now. It would not be what most people think it would be. Some of you would think, well, if he saw me, he would say things like, You gotta stop losing your temper with your kids. You're scarring them. Or you gotta try harder. You gotta do more if you want in. You gotta work harder. You just gotta do it all on your own. Stop whining. He wouldn't say something like, I can't believe you. You did that again? You looked at porn again? Are you serious? When are we gonna get this habit under control? I genuinely believe if Jesus had one meal with you this morning, he'd simply tell you something so simple, but it would be so significant. He would sit down with you, and he would know every mistake that you've ever made. He'd know how many hairs sit on your head. He knows everything about you, all your faults, all your failures, your ugly side that not even the people closest to you know. He knows it all. And the only thing that he would say to you is, I love you. You know what that does to you? Have you ever done something to somebody else? Hurt somebody else? Offended somebody else? Wounded somebody else? And that person comes back and they say, I forgive you. What does that do to you? I mean, it tears you up, right? Like, okay, I want to change now because whatever they have, I want that. See, Jesus knows, I don't have to get this person by condemnation, by beating them down, by making them not feel good enough. That's the tactic of the world. We do that on our own, pretty good. If Jesus were to have one meal with you, he'd simply say, "I love you and you're enough." Actually, this is exactly what happened on the cross. The cross is a standing contradiction to your mindset. And it's a event in history that goes completely against the grain of what our world thinks about themselves. The cross says, I know you don't feel worthy. I know you feel full of shame, but I died anyway. Think about it. Jesus, he was betrayed by a friend, yet he died for his friend. <laughs> First Corinthians 2.2, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As I bring this to a close, let these things echo in your ears. Imagine the humility it took for Jesus to die there. Imagine the humility it took for Jesus to die on that cross. Think about it. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but here he was, nailed to a cross with wood he created. Here he was, the hammer going down on his hands by people that he fashioned. Here he was, hanging on a cross, looking at soldiers, knowing their name, knowing their family, knowing their kids, knowing everything about them. The creator, slain by the created. makes no sense. It's madness. The creator, the the shepherd, being murdered by the sheep. He looked into the eyes of the people that were killing him there and his last words on the cross were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's humility. And I want you to understand something. That's the type of God that we serve. So whatever your excuses are about the past life that you've lived, it doesn't measure up to the cross. It doesn't hold any weight. None. You think you got to keep powering through life to make it. You see, Caesar ruled by putting people on a cross. Jesus ruled by putting himself there. <laughs> so this is ultimate humility. I'll show you what real humility looks like. Because Scripture teaches that a friend, the greatest love that we can have is to lay down our lives for a friend. Because remember, Jesus is the friend of sinners here's what's crazy. 2,000 years later, people all across the world will gather to worship Jesus, not Caesar. The church has outlasted the Roman Empire and joy has triumphed through the death of Jesus on a cross. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. The lower he stoops to save us. Listen, God is willing to do whatever he needs to do to grab a hold of you. So can, can I close with just a suggestion? Is it possible? Could it be that your life seems completely chaotic and out of order right now? It's not because of anything that you've done. It's because God loves you so much that sometimes he's willing to throw things out of order to grab your attention. It's not because he's being hateful. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's actually because he loves us so much that he says, you know what? I love you so much that I'm not willing to let you spend the rest of your life in chains. I love you so much that I'm not willing to let you spend the rest of your life wrapped up in that shame. I love you so much that I'm not willing to let you stay in that depression or that anxiety. So when justice called for all my debts, the friend of sinners came instead. That's the God that we serve